The CARE podcast is a way to engage the community when we cannot physically be with you. We believe that it is important to provide many different ways of engagement for our community. And a podcast is just another extension for you to join us in our efforts to continue conversations around social determinants. We believe that this conversation can be had in many ways and should be available to you always. In our podcast, we will largely be tackling all facets of social determinants, such as racism, sexism, classism, homophobia, and many more, and the forms they take in our society. We hope that we are able to be a vehicle of knowledge and increase communal responsibility for the communities that we serve. Uh, thank you both for <clears throat> being on uh, this episode of the podcast with us. Um, and this podcast is specifically about Black hair and the way that you integrate uh, Black women's hair into uh, your business. Um, and so if you could just give us both a rundown of just who you are, uh, your pronouns, um, and why you are here today. You want to kick it off? I can start. Yeah. yeah. I'm Diane Austin, and I am the CEO and co-founder of Coils to Locks, and we are addressing a healthcare disparity, a little-known healthcare disparity, and that's the lack of Afrocentric wigs, these are coily, curly, lock-style medical wigs that are available for uh, two women, uh, Black women in particular, who are suffering chemotherapy hair loss, but any woman who is suffering some type of medical-related hair loss. Um, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. And I am Pamela Shattuck. I am president and co-founder of Coils to Locks. Diane and I are sisters. And um, yeah, everything she said about coils to locks is what we're doing. <laughs> and um, same pronoun, she, her, hers. Thank you. And as you all know, my name is Cheyenne. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. I'm a community organizer at Care Research Center. Um, so let's just get into it. Um, tell us more about why you decided to start this company and why you felt it was personally important to create it. Since this was born of your journey, <laughs> Diane, I'll let you kick off with that. Absolutely. And as Pamela said, that the company really is based on my journey as a, a cancer patient. In 2015, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and my oncologist sat me down and told me a number of things. One of those things was that based on the chemotherapy cocktail that I would get, to fight the cancer, I would lose all of my hair. And he gave me a wig prescription and told me that if I was interested in a wig, that I could take that wig prescription called a cranial prosthesis and, and go to any cancer center boutique. And there is an industry across this nation at cancer center hospitals where you can go and get medical wigs. And I could take this prescription and get a wig if I had health insurance that covered the cost of the prescriptions, which many of them do, um, or cost of the wig, I could use my health insurance to um, pay for part or all of the cost of the wigs. And I wear my hair in its natural state, so it's not straightened. Um, it's coily, curly, kinky, it's a combination of all of those three. 
And um, I knew that I wanted to wear a wig. And I took that prescription to the hospital where I was being treated because they did have and do have a cancer center retail store. And I found that they only had straight haired wigs. And so I began to look at other hospitals in the Boston area that had these cancer center retail stores. And I found that none of these cancer center retail stores carried wigs that look like my kinky curly hair. I then uh, out of frustration decided that I wanted to just see if this was a Boston thing. And um, I, I just decided to just start checking nationally. And that's when I got one of my sisters involved, Pamela, who, um, you know, we started calling across the nation uh, looking at, um, you know, finding those hospitals that had cancer center retail stores and asking, do they sell these wigs? And we kept hearing, no, we don't, no, we don't, no, we don't. And these are major cancer centers across the nation that we called. And it really was frustrating for me. And it, it just ignited this interest, this passion to change that dynamic. And that's how the business was started. As, as we like to say, you know, I literally took lemons and turned it into lemonade. That was, um, you know, the goal to address this disparity. And it is a disparity because if you particularly one, if you have health insurance, that covers the cost of these wigs. And I'm fortunate to have really good private health insurance to not be able to use your health insurance just because uh, these cancer centers are not addressing your particular need is a disparity. So if um, many black women have this, this type of hair and because one in three black women, according to the American Cancer Society, will be diagnosed with cancer in their lifetime, coupled with the shift to uh, wearing one's hair natural in the Black community. Um, for those women who will be faced with uh, chemotherapy hair loss, to not be able to get a wig that looks like their hair using their health insurance is, is a disparity because hospitals are not addressing the needs of all patients. And we really just felt very passionate about um, making an impact uh, in this uh, particular area of disparity. Yeah. And it was really um, almost unbelievable. And, you know, since we started this journey in 2015 when Diane was diagnosed and pretty much almost immediately, um, you know, once recognizing the disparity locally in Boston, um, pretty much uh, while she was being treated, started the journey of, um, uh, calling and, and, and checking to see, you know, well, was this just something local or was it a, a national situation? And it was really just kind of unbelievable to see that this, there was a huge um, need not being met. Um, so, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mm -hmm. didn't expect I didn't expect in a million years that I would not be able to find a wig. And so when it dawned on me that this was a real issue, I was not only frustrated, but I was actually angry because 
um, you know, I remember seeing to Pamela, like, this is, it's 2015. Like, nobody is carrying these weights. Nobody, you know, what's, what is this one size fits all type of situation that's happening here? It was really unbelievable. Right. Especially since when, you know, Black women were um, shifting in droves to wearing their hair natural. It wasn't like it was some, you know, <laughs> um, unicorn that um, Afro-textured, curly-curly hair existed. Um, and like Diane said, pointing out the statistics that one in three Black women, you know, will be diagnosed in their lifetime, um, it was really just um, kind of unfathomable that this this was um, not being addressed. So then why do you think it is, it isn't the case that Black people who do experience hair loss aren't offered wigs that match their own hair texture? Well, do you want to answer that, Pam? Um, yeah, I can jump in there. I think, you know, of course, talking specifically about the, the cancer and the medical hair loss space, I personally think it comes down to, um, not the only reason, but comes down to society always leading with a European beauty standard. So really women, Black women in particular, with coily, curly, highly textured hair, we're not even on their radar. Our specific needs, um, you know, it, it's just, it isn't on anyone's radar. It wasn't on anyone's radar until, until now. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And, you know, and let's be clear, you can find Afro-textured, curly, curly hair wigs in the community at beauty supply stores. Um, they won't be of the same quality that you get in the cancer space, and you certainly won't get the, the types of hands-on attention and care that you get in the cancer and the medical salon space, and you won't be able to use your health insurance uh, and that sort of thing. So, you know, we're, we're talking specifically about the professional hair loss community when it comes to this, this um, disparity and this void. Um, but I really think it's just, you know, whether it's a, a conscious or an unconscious bias, and it's both, um, <laughs> the needs of people, the specific needs of Black women with highly textured hair just wasn't on anybody's radar. Mm -hmm. and, and I would add that, you know, I actually agree with everything Pamela said, but I would also add that the U.S. medical wig manufacturers uh, specifically clearly have not been keeping up with the trends in the industry. Mm -hmm. Again, they're not, um, and it's clear to us based on catalogs, these wig catalogs we've seen from these the U.S. medical wig manufacturers, and we've seen you know, several catalogs based on conversations we've had with cancer center retail store managers and um, our target market of Black women who've suffered not only chemotherapy hair loss, but other types of medical-related hair loss, that it's the, the U.S. medical wig manufacturers don't have Black women on their radar. Um, when you open these catalogs, you see pictures of white women with straight hair. There's not even people of color in their catalogs. And I've looked at, at many of these catalogs. Um, 
they just wear, whether that's due to a cultural insensitivity, an unconscious bias or conscious bias, we're not their target market. And so part of what Pamela and I wanted to do was disrupt that because, you know, instead of complaining, instead of being frustrated, let's do something about it. And that's what, what we decided to do. Yeah. And I think if you are, you know, I, I guess to some degree to the, the defense of the um, uh, cancer boutique community, the medical salon community, if you're not um, someone with highly textured hair, you know, you're, you're not even, and you get these catalogs, it's not even on your radar, um, again, to, to even think, well, there's, how come they don't have any Afro textured wigs? You know, you're just buying what's in the catalog. You're not necessarily questioning it. Um, and you may not know how to go about, even if it does cross your mind, if people, um, because what we have um, understood given our research and talking to people is that they have had uh, women come in, you know, asking for these wig types, um, but just no one either knew what to do about it or just didn't take the initiative to, um, and, and that's what we decided to do. You're absolutely right, Pamela. At one point, uh, I'd like to piggyback off of what Pamela said and say um, it's not only, you know, the U.S. medical wig manufacturers, quite frankly, when you look at the, when you whittle down to the cancer center retail store level, there's a disconnect there as well. So, um, yes, we we have spoken to uh many of these retailers, or I should say several of these retailers who have said, you know, I've been looking for these types of wigs and I've never been able to get them from the, the manufacturers that I've used. But there's also um, a segment of that population that isn't even thinking that there's a need for whatever reason, you know, right. um, they're not thinking well, maybe we should have different types of wigs and um, maybe we should do some exploration around that. So to give you some examples, like when, um, when I was um, exploring finding a medical wig, the first place I went to, um, they, the person said, well, no, we don't sell these types of wigs but you can buy a straight haired wig and then take it to a local salon that will put chemicals in it to kink up the wig for you so you can get that texture. And I remember thinking, one, why would I do that? Why would I you know, use my health insurance and probably add more money to that to get the wig and then pay more money out of pocket to take it somewhere else and have them kink up the wig? And what in, in, in when I reflect on that experience, what I think should have happened was, no, we don't have these wigs, but let me try to help you find these wigs. Like there wasn't that piece. That piece was missing. Nobody said that when we were calling across the country. Nobody even 
offered to try to help us. Right. They were just like, no, we don't have them. We don't have them. So there's that disconnect as well. There needs to be an understanding that if you're offering a service, you need to offer a service or a product for all of your patient population. And you need to take that extra step to help them. You don't just turn them away. No, we don't have it. And, and I, I, you know, that's a frustrating part of the process as well. There needs to be some re-education around diversity and inclusion and making sure that you provide products and services that meet all of your patients' needs, not just some of your patients' needs. So I, I found that there, you know, there were issues on both sides of the fence. Right, right. And not just, uh, just to add a little something extra to that, and not just um, turn people away, but in at least in one instance, make them jump through, try to make them jump through extra hoops to get what they want as well. You know, paying out of pocket, um, and going somewhere else to kink up the wig, that sort of thing. It's just, yeah, like you said, it's just an insensitivity and, and um, you know. Um, lack of awareness. Lack of awareness. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, using another example, um, I, because of my first experience, the second place that I went to, I called ahead and I, I spoke to someone and I said, I just want to make sure that you have these wigs. I have do you, I have kinky curly hair. I use the word afro textured because I thought that would resonate. I have afro textured hair. I'm looking for that type of wig. Do you have those types of wigs? And the person said, "Yes, we do." So we'd love to make an appointment with you. So I made an appointment, brought my mother with me, brought my cousin with me. We get there and the person um, who is helping us shows us a catalog of Sherry Shepard wigs. Sherry Shepard is a black actress and entrepreneur and she has a wig line, but her wigs were not Afro kinky, curly, coily, highly textured, all of those uh, things. <laughs> what she had were straight haired wigs that you know were maybe curled in some respects, like they were, they might have some curly style. So it was like taking straight hair and putting rollers in it. And then, you know, that type of style, but th there were no Afro kinky curly wigs in that catalog. And that said to me that there was a disconnect with the person I spoke to on the phone. All she heard was black. Yes, we have a catalog from a black woman who has wigs right that's what she heard because but when I got there I'm like well these aren't this isn't it and so I showed a picture saying this is what I'm talking about and she said oh no no we don't have that so it was really sort of a waste of my time going to this appointment and it made us understand as we uh, started this business that there's some education that needs right. to happen as part of this process, because um, it was just a surprising disconnect there. Hmm. I agree. Um, and then when it comes to your business, um, getting into hospital settings, do you think it was hard for you to get a foothold? Um, and if so, how did you tackle that? 
I would say yes and no. I've been, Mm -hmm. I've worked in hospitals mostly my entire career. And I'm also in the, uh, in the last 10 years, that work has been in the diversity space. So I had an understanding of um, who I might talk to about some of these things. But when we were in the idea stage, I, I tried to reach out to um, cancer center retail stores and a lot of people just never responded to me except for one hospital who was just so responsive. We didn't even have a business yet. I was just trying to get information. Um, and I, I try not to call out hospitals, but I'm going to call out this one. And that was Beth Israel. Uh, the woman at Beth Israel windows of hope was very responsive and, um, was just very helpful when we didn't even have a business yet. And I am eternally grateful to her because she wanted to help and she understood that there was a problem based on requests from her patients. And so she was excited to hear. That's not to be negative against some of the other hospitals, but it's like when you're, I understand you're getting sales calls from people basically um, or what appear to be sales calls and people just, you know, they have a lot on their plate and all of that. But this um, particular woman, Linda, um, at Beth Israel, just um, regardless, opened her doors um, and it was very helpful. So then, but fast forward, um, because I knew once we were ready to launch the business, um I had a sense, you know, I, I understand like the supplier diversity chain and all of that and, and began to, you know, make those connections and asking people if they could help make those connections for me. And so um, I was able to get access to the people that I needed to get access to. And I also think the timing was perfect for this yeah. business as well, because we, we, um, it took us four years to get to the point where we were ready to launch. But when we were ready to launch in 2019, there seemed to be more of an awareness in terms of um, diversity and inclusion in the healthcare space, um, particularly in the Boston area and the, the focus on um, being anchor institutions in the community and working with um underrepresented and underserved community vendors and businesses. So I think the timing of everything was right as well, which um, I think may have helped to um, open some doors. Yeah. I think if we were doing this four years ago, I'm sorry, Pam. Um, no, no, go ahead. We'd probably still be trying to knock on doors, but people are more aware now. Absolutely. And, and I was really just going to, piggyback real quick and say, and it exploded even more in 2020, given the obvious circumstances um, uh, with COVID-19 and um, everything that's happening um, in terms of race relations and that sort of things, you know, sort of the two, those two things, which is a space that we're dealing with, just came to the forefront in such a huge way because of uh, what's been happening in 2020, which has allowed even more 
um, doors to open and and for that access to happen and, and the awareness again is just um, you know heightened because of what's happening in the world today as well. Yes, companies are very interested in making sure that they're um, diverse and inclusive and leveling the playing field and and giving access. Um, so, as Pamela said, we um, that has also helped us. I think, um, you know, I don't want to say that that that's one factor that's part of this because we have talked to cancer center retailers who have said, we've been looking for these types of wigs. One person said, you know, I've been looking for 10 years for these types of wigs for my patients. And so there, you know, for many hospitals that we've worked with, um, there, there is an awareness Right. Um, as well, that I think was there even before the um, social unrest and um, that that um, started with the unfortunate death of, of George Floyd, um, addressing issues that we know in the black community have always existed. Mm-hmm. This has been nothing new, but right. But George Floyd's death really um created a lot of um, awareness. The rose-colored glasses started coming off. People became more woke around the topic. And that has definitely benefited us on the business side as well. Right. And you speak, you spoke on Black culture um, just a little bit, but I'm, I'm wondering how much do you think a Black person's hair defines or is defined by their culture? I think it's very much defined. Um, Hair is such a interesting part of our culture, an important part of our culture for both black men and and women. Mm -hmm. Um, There are so many historical ties, social ties to um, our hair. So we know that, you know, historically before, you know, many of us, our ancestors came over here on slave ships in some cases, we know that's not every black person's history or story, but, you know, we all know that history. Prior to that, um, you know, in Africa, hair represented so many things, the different hairstyles um, that African women and men um created represented status in the culture and right and it was um, was tied to you could tell what tribe a person was from from mm -hmm. based on their hairstyle Mm -hmm. and then that i think carried over into um the u.s culture we brought so many aspects of our culture with us but then what complicated that pride of hair and culture and those ties was um, the need for Black people to assimilate in a culture um, that is Eurocentric. So when we, you know, we were taught that we were, we were ugly as people, our Our hair hair was was ugly. ugly. Um, And when we, when slavery ended and we had to assimilate in order to, to, feed our families 
we had to do something different with our hair because we were told that our hair was ugly. It wasn't professional. It was harder to get jobs if you didn't straighten your hair. Right. So there's that piece of it. And then there's that whole, um, quite frankly, brainwashing piece where because, you know, if you're constantly being told that you're not as beautiful because of your skin color, because of your hair texture, whatever it is, you know, that gets ingrained in the culture as well. So, um, you know, there was this um, interest in trying to assimilate and replicate European standards of beauty. So there were so many factors there that really, you know, got us straightening our hair in order to fit in. Right. Um, And every image that you saw, um, whether it's in the beauty magazines or like Diane said, what you're being told that, you know, the longer, the straighter, the better, you know, so. Mm -hmm. um, So we carried that with us over the years. And then there was that, you know, shift in the 60s in the civil rights movement where um, we were really understanding the importance of um, embracing our past history and our culture that came over with our ancestors, that we are beautiful, that we're not, um, you know, you don't have to uh, replicate European standards of beauty, that's not the only standard of beauty. There are so many other standards of beauty and our beauty, you know, our hair, our skin, our, you know, thick lips and broad noses are also beautiful. And so that was, you know, becoming part of the culture of Black is Beautiful, all of that in the uh, 60s and 70s. And so we began to love our hair again um and you know understanding that no we don't have to straighten it in order to feel beautiful or you know our hair is beautiful like so we have all of that is tied into our culture so hair is really it is a huge part of our 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 culture and we you know you fast forward now you know we and even historically black women have you know we love changing our hairstyles we might want to wear it straight one day and next week we might put some extensions in it and and have it you know braided and then you know we may wear a wig another day like we're just very creative and interested in changing up our looks right so yes I, i i i do feel that you know hair is such a um dominant part of our culture and I think for really good reasons especially in the last you know 20 or 30 years yeah and I what's interesting about everything that Diane shared and I agree um, is that black women culturally their hair their style everything about us is we're the most appropriated people on the planet in terms of culture and style and our hair. Um, But then at the same time, unless it's on somebody else, there's that message that, uh, you know, it's not as celebrated on us, but when it's appropriated, then it's celebrated in a bigger way. 
Um, so it's really interesting and it's really great to see um, that there is a shift happening and that as Black women, we're not, you know, culturally allowing that anymore and it's speaking up about that and embracing, you know, our, our hair and everything about it, um, you know, because it is um, amazing and beautiful. And we, like Diane said, um, love variety and we love changing it up and we love, you know, it's okay to one for one day to, to wear it um, in its natural state. And then tomorrow I may want to, you know, flat iron it or whatever. Um, but it's versatile and culturally it, it's, it really is, does define us in so many ways. So I think it was implied in the way that you were talking about uh, black hair, but how do you think um, our hair is intrinsically tied to our physical health or our mental health? I think that um, there's a lot of pressure on black women and men to wear their hair in the way that it grows out of their heads. We um, and that can definitely impact for sure our our mental health as um, you can Google um, natural hair discrimination and there'll be tons of articles that come up on you know kids who are being told that their braids are are not appropriate because it looks unkempt. We it doesn't it you're breaking the the rules that we have for like standards of um, professionalism, I guess, um, Mm -hmm. with schools or, you know, people who have to decide whether to straighten their hair for a job interview because they don't know if the person on the other side of that desk or in this case, I guess, you know, um, virtual, uh, you know, that Zoom call who's interviewing them may have a a bias, whether unconscious or conscious, um, based on the way their hair looks, because there is a perception that hair that is not straight is not professional, that the hair is dirty, it's unclean, those kinds of things. So it can cause a lot of stress just having to, you know, those are things that people who have naturally straight hair don't have to think about that we have to think about as um, individuals when we are, you know, living our lives in society. The fact that we have to stop and think about whether or not, you know, I have dreadlocks, so I wonder if this is going to be a detriment to me because it's going to be seen as unprofessional. Right. It's stressful. Absolutely. And, you know, you make me think of that incident, and there have been many, but one in particular where um, a young Black boy was stopped from playing on a sports team um, or told he he wouldn't be able to play unless he cut his locks because his locks were seen as interfering or, like you said, unkempt or professional or interfering somehow, I don't know how, with, you know, him and the other kids, the other kids really was the focus, um, playing their sport. Like I, I, how that's true, I don't know, but it's that sort of thing. And I can't even imagine, especially at that age, 
um, how that affects you mentally. Um, and, and then, you know, you tie all this in because mind, body, and spirit, it's, everything's connected. Um, it, it, that stress can then cause hair loss, <laughs> you know, if we tie it mm-hmm. back to medical reasons in the hair, you know, that's, that stress can cause, um, physical, um, ailments. It's just all so, um, tied into all of that because everything is connected. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And do you think there is a general stigma around black women wearing wigs? Um, especially, and especially when it comes to for medical reasons? I don't think there's yeah. a stigma mm-hmm. at all. Go ahead, Pamela. I feel like I was oh, no, no, getting no. ready to say I, something. No, I was gonna, about to say the same thing. I don't necessarily think, I don't, I, I don't think there's a stigma. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely not in general. Um, you know, like we were saying before, Black women like to change it up, whether that's mm-hmm. wearing a wig or extensions or wearing their hair natural, whatever. Uh, I think Black women in, in general like to change it up and are used to that sort of thing. If you're talking, you know, if, if, if I may look at uh, specifically, say, someone who's going through an experience like medical hair loss and mm-hmm. who's never worn a wig before, um, you know, there might be some hesitancy and some um, self-esteem issues around doing that for the first time if they never have. And they're, you know, they're already going through um, some trauma from whether it's chemo hair loss, alopecia hair loss, or that sort of thing. And, you know, it, it, but I think that may be a specific thing to that person as opposed to there being a stigma in general around black women wearing wigs because mm-hmm. we've been wearing wigs forever. Yeah, not within the culture. I mean, there could be a perceived stigma from from other groups, but as a right. culture, we um it I don't see there there being a stigma at all. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing it right, no one necessarily, I mean, we know as black women, we tend to know, but someone outside of the culture may not even necessarily know that you're wearing a wig if it's, if it's a wig that doesn't look like a wig. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then when it comes to your wigs, um, are they only available to those who have health insurance or uh, have um, cancer related hair loss? Well, we set up the business to be uh, a B2B. So we are a wholesale distributor directly to cancer center, retail stores, and medical salons. Um, You don't have to have insurance to purchase those wigs in those settings. But you do, if, if you do have insurance, you need to purchase a wig in those settings if you want to be able to be Um, reimbursed by your health insurance company. We have found that um, a lot of women who are not just suffering chemotherapy hair hair loss, but alopecia-related hair loss, other types of medical hair loss because of different medications that they're taking that aren't chemotherapy-related are reaching out to us and, and asking if they can purchase our wigs directly from us. And so we are looking at adding a, um, a line of wigs that does not compete with the wigs that we sell to hospitals that we will sell directly on our website for women who 
would like to buy wigs from us because of other types of medical related hair loss or chemotherapy related hair loss, or just because they want to buy a wig from us for aesthetic reasons. Okay. Well, thank you both. Um, I, this is very informative, especially for me, uh, <laughs> someone who's has no relation to folks who have any kinds of uh, medically related hair loss. Um, yeah, it was, I appreciate your presence on this podcast a lot. Um, and I'm just wondering if you have any uh, last comments, any last thoughts you want uh, to come across. I would say, you know, if you are listening to this uh, podcast and you either work at a hospital, doesn't necessarily have to be in Boston. We're, we're in three hospitals in Boston, but we're, we're really trying to make inroads across the country. We would love your assistance in helping us open doors to get our wigs into other hospitals so that women can have access to these wigs. And, and you know, we're, we're working diligently to do that ourselves, but we need the help of, of other people who, um, whether it's a patient or people who may be listening to this, who have some influence to help us open doors across this at hospitals across this nation and medical salons across this nation that aren't carrying these wigs and who aren't, um, you know, ensuring that um, for whatever reason that there are a variety of wigs for their patients. We would love your assistance and you can reach out to us at info at coils to locks dot com to um you know partner with us to to help us get get these wigs in in various hospitals absolutely and and you can if you, whether you're a patient or um a hospital you can also go to our website at coils to locks dot com and um on our where to buy page you can fill out a web form um letting us know the hospital name um and we can um, move from there to start to make the, do the research and, and hopefully make some inroads in getting our wigs in your location. Um, you can find us on social media, um, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Facebook. Um, there are many ways to get in touch with us if you want to get us some information. So um, mm -hmm. that's great too. Amazing. Uh, thank you both, uh, Pamela and Diane. Um, it was a pleasure having you on the episode. Thank You're you, Cheyenne. We're really excited. And, and thank you for, for thank having you. us. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. It was brought to you by the Otsuka Foundation. In addition, this podcast would not have been possible without the support from the community surrounding care. We want you to listen in for our next episode and stay connected through our Facebook page, MGH Care and our Twitter page, MGH Care Research.